If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me to the book of Acts. It was in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20 that God uh, really spoke to me back in the year 2020. And this wasn't something for the church. It was really kind of something just for me. I was praying that verse, Acts 20, 20. And, uh, and God really just let it become a prayer focus for me. I, I want to show you that verse here at the beginning of this message. This is what it says. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Now, I love, I love the, the first part of that. It says, I have not hesitated. The NET version says, I have held nothing back. And I don't know, that just spoke to me. God was saying, you know, in 2020, I want you to hold nothing back. And I had no idea house to house because we spent like 14 weeks, you know, just doing ministry house to house through Facebook and YouTube and, and no weekend worship services. And I had to kind of laugh at the irony of that. But then last year, as we began 2021, I shared the next verse in that chapter. And I did believe this was a word for our church because the word God had spoken to us last year was advance, advance. And 2021 became a verse that really kept our eye on the center of the target. This is what the next verse says. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus, my translation, I'm going to preach the gospel to everyone. And so we saw God continue to advance his kingdom as we stayed focused on his agenda. Now today, as we begin a brand new year, I want to take you right back to the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 23. And there's three things in this verse, or 22 rather, uh, there's three things in this verse that that I believe God wants us to get in our spirit today. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Did you find it? Are you there? Before we read it, I want to just pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come to moments like this. And every week, Lord, we come to this moment in the service where we submit ourselves to the authority of your word for our lives. God, we're not, we're not leaning in here to just hear someone's opinion, or to rehearse an old story, we believe, God, that this book is inspired, that the breath of your Holy Spirit is on every page and on every word. And Lord, if we'll have ears to hear, we believe your Spirit wants to speak to us today. So Lord, we lean into your word today and throughout this year in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Acts twenty twenty two. Here we go. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. If you're a note taker, I want you to write these things down. If you weren't a note taker last year, you should be a note taker in 2022, so write these things down. Number one, but now, but now. On Wednesday of this past week, I was up here at the church Wednesday evening. The building was quiet. Nobody else was here. I was actually putting the Christmas trees back in storage, which always feels kind of sad, doesn't it? Like, so just kind of busy work, and, and I just started praying. I said, Holy Spirit, just speak a word to me. And I heard the Spirit say, it's time. Now, earlier that day, I, 
I attended the funeral of a pastor who was tragically killed in a car accident right before Christmas. And it really hit close to home because, well, a couple of reasons. One, he's the same age as my younger brother. And secondly, because the church he pastored is just three miles up the road here. So when I heard the Spirit say, it's time, my thoughts immediately went to that reality that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. That he didn't get to preach the Christmas Eve message he had planned. But as I just continued to pray about it, and I sat right about where Blake and Hannah are sitting, and I just said, Lord, what do you want to say to me this evening as I had my Wednesday night prayer meeting for one? And God just kept saying, it's time. And, and I want to say to you today, whatever it is that you're putting off doing for the Lord, it's time. It's time. And, and let me qualify when I say do it for the Lord by saying I don't just mean ministry. I don't just mean what you do for other people or, or what you do to other people in the name of the Lord. The Bible says in Colossians 3.23, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Working for the Lord and not for human masters. So for some of you, when I say it's time, for you that means it's time to advance your career. For some of you that means it's time to, to go back to school, to extend your education. It's time maybe to, to get out of debt, time to cut up the credit cards. For some of you, it's time to start tithing, to, to honor the Lord with the first fruits of your income. For some of you, it's time to start saving for retirement. It's time for some of you to regain control of your health. For some of you, it's time to break an addiction. Finally, it's time. The Bible tells us, in fact, the brother of Jesus tells us in the book of James that, that he gives a stern warning for any one of us that would dare to assume that tomorrow is guaranteed. And in James chapter 4, verse 13, he says this, now, Listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there carrying on business and making money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Isn't that true? What is your life, he asks. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I was doing a funeral the week of Christmas, and it was a graveside service, and it was cool that morning, and as I was speaking to the family, I was watching my breath, and that verse popped into my mind, and I told that family, I said, what is your life? It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today. Quick. It's, you're here today. You're gone tomorrow, and then he says this in verse 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And all such boasting is evil. If anyone, then, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. That word gripped my heart. Listen, he's not saying don't do sinful things. He's not saying all the things you're doing are sin. He's saying if there's something that you know you should have done and you're just not doing it, it's a sin to you. I don't know if you have things in your life like that, that maybe it was last year's new resolution, 
And maybe it was the year before that resolution, and maybe for so long you've been putting it off. I mean, you feel like the conviction of, it's like the level of sin now. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to change that. I've got to do this different. And you feel that conviction. And James is saying, look, if you know what you're supposed to do, and you keep avoiding the, the, the precious gift of today, it's like a sin to you. Paul understood the value of time. And so he said, and now I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, Paul knew he wasn't going to get there in a day. If you read the rest of Acts chapter 20 and even halfway through chapter 21, there's many stops along the way before he actually gets to Jerusalem. But Paul understood at that moment, at this time, he had to make a decision. Today, I'm taking another step in the right direction. Today, I'm not going to squander the moment. I'm going to Jerusalem. The elders of Ephesus were actually there with Paul. They had come down to see him off on his journey. And Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, kind of paints the scene for us in the first verse of the next chapter. Acts 21 starts like this. It says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. So you can see the scene in your mind. They're on the beach there. Paul's getting ready to leave. Chapter 20 ends by saying they were clinging to him and weeping. Chapter 21 says they're tearing themselves away. These people do not want Paul to go. And why should they? I mean, look at what Paul said to him in the next verse, Acts 20, 23. It says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So, so if they love Paul, why in the world would they want him to go and experience prison and hardships? And that's not even the worst part. Look at verse 25. Paul says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Never going to see me again. So there's a finality to this goodbye. Paul is... Uh, telling him, like, I'm never coming back here again. You guys will never see me again. In the next chapter, in fact, there's a a prophet named Agabus. And Agabus takes Paul's belt off of him and ties his own hands and his own feet with the belt. And he says, in the same way, the Jews will hand over the owner of this belt to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. So, Paul's hearing it from the right and from the left, like this is not going to go well for you. If Paul ever wanted to make a decision about his future based on convenience, how many of you believe this might be the moment? Maybe this is the time to just reconsider, reevaluate our our plans for the spring. Maybe we don't want to go to Jerusalem after all. But Paul was not compelled by convenience. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell somebody today, no reason exists that is reason enough to disobey the voice of the Holy Spirit. There is no reason that's good enough. It's always the right time to do what God has said. No more excuses. No more delays. No more limitations from internal fears or or external threats. Church, action is required. It is a necessity of faith. In fact, James would say in his epistle, faith that doesn't have accompanying works is actually dead faith. It's not real faith. It's a charade. It's a, it's a faith facade. It's a Sunday morning, one hour only experience. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
delayed obedience is just disobedience wearing a mask. And we can put it off and we can put it off, but the Holy Spirit wants us to know when he says now, when the Holy Spirit says go, when the Holy Spirit says move, delayed obedience is just disobedience in disguise. You've got one thing you can offer to God today, one thing. You can't offer him yesterday, that one's over. You can't offer him tomorrow, you have no guarantees of that. You can offer him today. That's the only gift you have to bring. It's called the present, and it's the only gift you have to bring to God. And so Paul recognizes in this moment, I have to do this now. Look at the verse with me again. It says, and now, compelled by the Spirit. Number two, compelled by the Spirit. I don't know what you think about New Year's resolutions. I actually, I like them. I know some people are like, oh, I don't, I don't like, I like them. I, I'm, I'm too easily distracted. So anytime I can grab like momentum or, or motivation to, to harness my attention towards a goal, I'm all about that. So whatever works for you, get a new calendar, write it on the wall, stick it on your fridge. I'm all about motivation and getting a fresh start and a new beginning. And I don't know what it is, but something about like turning over a new calendar, resetting the calendar, kind of makes us feel like we want to reset the way we manage that calendar, doesn't it? Like we just want to go back and kind of look at it all again with fresh eyes by our comparison with other people. Or maybe we feel motivated by regrets of what we didn't do last year or by guilt because we haven't measured up. We haven't reached our potential. But can I tell you, church, what we really need in 2022 is to be compelled by the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. We need the Spirit of God to drive us to do the will of God. You know, Paul, when, when you read all the epistles that he wrote, you know this about Paul. He was a team player. Paul always mentioned his companions in his letters. He always talked about the people that traveled with him, and, and he always thanked the people that blessed him in the places he had been, in the places he was going. In one place, he talked about how he was all alone, and he wrote about it regretfully. Paul believed in the wisdom in a multitude of counselors. He surrounded himself with godly people. That's why it's so amazing to me when I read Acts chapter 20 and 21 that all the people around Paul kept saying, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul, who is notoriously a team player, ignores every bit of their encouragement. So why? Why, why would he buck the trend? Why would he not listen to them? There's only one reason I see in the text. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit. Church, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And, and, and I know that, that that speaks well on a Sunday, but we've probably all been in a situation where we wondered what the Holy Spirit wanted us to do. I want to tell you three things quickly, just three little dashboard indicators that can show you if you're hearing from the voice of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit will never compel you to do anything that is contrary to the Word of God. You, you just need to know that. You'd be amazed at how many people have, have justified sin with a God told me statement. You ever had somebody pull that trump card out on you? Like, well, you know, God told me. I'm like, well, I can't argue with that. What do you mean God told me? God will never tell you to do anything that's contrary to his word. And, and so, so the, the starting place, if you're not sure what you should do, you ought to know what does the word say about it because God has already 
authoritatively spoken on many of the issues that we're confused about. Secondly, you need to know this. You can discern the Holy Spirit's leading by gauging the emotion it causes. You can discern the Holy Spirit's leading in your life by gauging the emotion that his leading causes in you. Now, you have to be careful with this one because how many of you know we don't live by our feelings? Because God, obviously, case in point, God asks us to do tough stuff. I'm sure, you know, Paul wasn't skipping and jumping and dancing into Jerusalem. And yet, even when God asks you to do a hard thing, There's evidence that it's the Spirit of God because the fruit of the Spirit of God is present. See, the fruit of the Spirit of God in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, perseverance. We see all these things that, that are evidenced when the Spirit of God is growing in your life. And so when the Spirit of God asks you to do something, even a difficult thing, one of the ways that we can have the affirmation that it is God is the emotion that is evoked in us, even when it doesn't line up with the circumstances we're in. The Bible talks about a peace that surpasses understanding. Have you ever felt that? Where you were in a difficult situation, and it didn't make sense, and and everybody else would be stressed out. In fact, maybe everybody else is stressed out, but for some reason, there's a stillness in your soul. It's just a calm. It's an assurance that you can't describe, but you thank God it's there. That's the Holy Spirit. Paul was trying to explain this to Timothy, a young pastor in the ministry, and he wrote in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Paul is saying, Timothy, the spirit that God gives you is not a spirit of fear. We've all experienced that. We've all felt that before, and we know the difference. When all of a sudden we're, we're doing something that, that, that would typically cause trepidation and yet there's a confidence, maybe even that's, that's deeper than us, it's beyond us, it's an assurance to know that I, I just sense this is God. You know, my wife and I, we've experienced several times in our lives where, where God has used the emotion that she feels in response to the Lord's leading to confirm in us the will of God. See, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big picture guy. I, I like to dream big dreams and and say big things. And, and and then my wife balances me out by being more pragmatic and saying, "Okay, well, to get from here to there, there's a lot of things that have to happen." And, and so, from the outside, somebody might look at that and say, "Well, he's really full of faith, and she's really." full of fear, uh, or if you're more like her, you would say, he's full of hot air, and she makes sense. Just depends on how you want to look at it, you know. Yeah, I knew some of you were in the room. But one of the ways that God has confirmed his will and his word in us is when something that seems like something I would say or I would do, all of a sudden comes out of her mouth. And she says, I, I, just, I just sense this is the Lord. We experienced that recently with, with this property that the church is purchasing. She drove by that property one day. Now, I've, I've looked at that property and other properties like that, and I've said it a dozen times if I've said it once. Like, man, that, that would be a great location for a church. That would be an awesome place for a church. A for sale sign out there and just thought, I should call. I should call the number. And she called the number and thought, oh, I should stop by. I should look at the building. 
And, and now that's something I would do. Absolutely, I would do that. And, and typically, she would come home and maybe tell me, like, hey, maybe you ought to call this number. But in that moment, she just sensed, this is the Lord. And we've learned in our relationship that that, that, that confidence, that peace, that, that's maybe even unconventional for her personality, is an indication of the Lord's leading. Now, do we always get it right following the Lord? Absolutely not. I felt like I needed to say that for some of y'all, too. No. Sometimes we miss it. It's okay. Polish the halo. It's okay. But we've discerned that one of the ways God confirms his word is through the emotion that we get in response to what the Lord is saying. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So there's clarity. There's understanding. There's not fear and, and trepidation and, and worry. We're not doing it out of spite or out of vindictiveness. No, it's love. Holy Spirit's not encouraging you to get revenge on anybody. His Spirit leads us to love. And, and not to confusion, but to soundness of mind. Now, let me give you the third thing. You can know the Holy Spirit's leading you because the Holy Spirit will confirm His Word. God is so gracious and so kind that when the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to do something, He will confirm His Word. Maybe through a message like this one. Maybe through a phone call from a friend. Maybe because you were just praying about something and then you got on social media and the first thing you saw was a scripture that one of your friends posted that perfectly meets, I don't know how God's going to do it, but have you ever experienced it before? Where God just kept confirming his word. He'll do that. He'll confirm his word. That's why I love verse 23. Because it sounds really negative. And if God's going to confirm his word, why wouldn't Paul listen to all of his friends who said, don't go to Jerusalem? Because while they kept saying, Paul, we don't think you should go to Jerusalem because, you know, there's going to be persecution there. and We don't think you should go to Jerusalem because this could happen. Or what if people say that about you? Or what if you get arrested? Look at Paul's interpretation of it. Verse 23, Paul said, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So even though he was getting discouragement from his friends, he already knew God had spoken to him to go there. So what he was picking up is that everybody he talked to talked about Jerusalem. Everybody he talked to spoke to him about him going to the city. And he said, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. The Holy Spirit is warning me. How? Through all my friends. God's communicating his word. Church, I can't emphasize enough on this first Sunday of this new year how critically important it is that we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and that we are compelled by the Holy Spirit moving forward. I want to just take a few moments today and I want to show you what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the church and why you and I desperately need to pursue more of the Spirit of God. In John chapter 16, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's come to the end of his ministry. And it's not coincidental that in 14, 15, and 16th chapter of John, he begins to turn his attention towards the work of his spirit. So much so as to say, it's good that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the spirit can't come. And Jesus knew he's about to pass the baton, that the work the church would be doing would have to be a spirit-empowered work. And so in John 4, 16, 
verse 12, Jesus says, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Have you ever needed a counselor like that who only speaks the truth and who tells you what is yet to come? He said, that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Verse 14, he says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. For all that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It's amazing to me how often I come across believers who, who want to be led by Jesus. Jesus said, you know, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. But then when you start talking about listening to the Holy Spirit, people get nervous. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is only going to tell you what I tell him to tell you. That's his function. When the Holy Spirit speaks, Jesus is speaking, but now he's not limited to one voice in one location on the earth. How many of you know when Jesus was a man on the earth, he wasn't omnipresent? He could only speak to people that were within reach of his voice. He said, it's good I'm going away because the Holy Spirit's going to tell all of you everything that I want you to know at the same time. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus is about to ascend up to heaven. And he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's exactly what they did. They, they, they saw Jesus ascend up into heaven. They went into Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place on the day of Pentecost when suddenly the Holy Spirit filled top of each of them. And then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says this, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and it began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can I tell you, church, that was not a one-time experience for those 120 people on the day of Pentecost. They understood that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a critical component of living a Christian life without the bodily presence of Jesus. They understood that. From everything Jesus taught them, I'm leaving, he's coming, don't do anything till he gets here. That's what Jesus told them. I'm leaving, the Spirit's coming, just wait. That's why when you read the, the New Testament and you watch the expansion of the church, everywhere the gospel went, the, the priority of the apostles was to find out if those people that received the gospel also received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was the first question they asked in Acts chapter 8. I'll give you an example. The gospel goes to Samaria. And we don't have time to go into the history, but let me just tell you, that was a big deal. These, pe these people, they, they were not friends of the Jews. And so the people that brought them the gospel even had a hard time believing that they actually received the gospel. I don't know if you have any friends like that, but you're like, really, you're here today? <laughs> don't look at them. You know, wow. Must be a new year. Don't look at them. When they found out that the gospel went to Samaria, the first thing the church in Jerusalem did is they sent Peter and John, the two head honchos. They sent them to Samaria, and the first question those men wanted to know is, did you receive the Holy Spirit? 
We heard, we heard you got saved. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And it says in Acts 8, 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another example. Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus for the first time. He's been preaching the gospel all over the place, but never here. But because of the persecution, some Christians have already gone to Ephesus and there's about 12 men who have received the gospel. And Paul's like, man, this is awesome. I thought I was coming to start something, and look, I've already got a life group. This is amazing. There's 12 guys here. First question Paul wants to know is, have you guys been baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's the first question he asks in Acts 19. Verse 26 and 27 says, in the same way, let me back up, Acts 8, 17. It says, then Peter and John placed their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, I'll catch up with you in a second. Verse 6, it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. The apostles emphasized the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they, they knew how critical it was that we have the Holy Spirit guide us into God's will. That's why when Paul was teaching about the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, he said this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You don't have to confess it to me, but I just wonder if anybody here has felt weak before, weak in your faith, weak in your ability to know what to do next. He said the Holy Spirit comes to help us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I like the ESV translation of that. It says, through groanings too deep for words. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you didn't even know what to pray. You didn't even know how to pray. You just, it, was just a, it, was, it was a groaning that was too deep for words. Paul says in that moment, the Holy Spirit wants to give you the words to pray. The Holy Spirit wants to pray for you and pray through you. Look at the next verse. Verse 27, he says, And he, God, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit because of the Spirit who intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What is the Holy Spirit doing? When the Holy Spirit prays through you, he's literally praying the very will of God. I don't know about you, but in my life, there's moments where I don't really know the will of God. And I've had plenty of people come to me with that same question. I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, I can tell you what he's given you the ability to do. He's given you the opportunity to pray in the Spirit. Because while you don't know what you should do in your understanding, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to do. And he begins to pray the will of God in your life. And it's amazing how all of a sudden when we pray in the Spirit... Our minds and our thoughts and our ideas, at least we think they're our ideas, begin to align with the will of God. And pretty soon we've got clarity. We've got clarity on what to do. Why? Because the Spirit of God prays the will of God in the life of believers. We've got to know the will of God. And now, Paul says, verse 2022, compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Number three, 
I'm going, not knowing. I'm going, not knowing. Now, Paul didn't exactly know what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. But he did know why he was going. The Holy Spirit compelled him. You might not know what. You might not have the details, but know your why. Know, know why you're going. Know that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Know that you're in it for the glory of God and not for building your own platform. Know your why. I love seeing the testimony this week, actually, of one of our sister churches over in Lancaster. The worship center just had a celebration of uh, completing the payments on a $20 million building program. $20 million to build the church that they started back in, I don't know, 2006 or nine or something like that. They just paid it off. And they had a big celebration. And, and I love what the founding pastor had to say, Pastor Sam Smucker. He said this. He said, why would you spend $20 million for any other reason but to see people receive the redemption and the love of God? You know what he was saying in that moment? He was saying, church, we know why. We know why we did this. This probably sounded crazy when they first started it, but we know why. I love the story in Genesis 12. God calls Abraham, at the time he's Abram, to, to be the father of many nations. And, and in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, I, I love that. Go to the land I will show you. And so Abram starts packing up. He starts pulling up the tent stakes. He starts rolling up the, the, the tarps. He, he starts loading up the camels. And can you imagine the conversation? His family's like, what are we doing? Hey, God said we're going. Where are we going? Well, he didn't lift that part out. I don't really know yet. I mean, this is literally going, not knowing. This is, this is God, God said go, so I'm packing. I'm getting ready, and he said, I will show you the land. He started moving in the direction of obedience before he had the destination. In other words, Abram was compelled by a promise, not a plan. See, a lot of people, they, they, want, they want all the details. Show me a compelling plan, and I'll get on board. When God says, no, 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 get on board with the promise, and then I'll give you the plan. Trust me. Step out in faith. Abram did the same thing the disciples did on the day of Pentecost. You know, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Did you know he didn't tell them what was going to happen, that they would know it was the Holy Spirit? He didn't say, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to hear the sound of, of rushing wind. You're going to see fire, and you're going to know. The worship team's going to start playing a song in a minor key. Then you'll know it's time. Like, I, there, there was no, nothing like that. He just said, just go and wait for the promise of the Father. And they said, okay, we'll go, even though we don't know. And so Abraham and the disciples, they demonstrate something powerful. First, a willingness to obey a promise. And second, a prayerfulness to receive a plan. A willingness to obey a promise and a prayerfulness to receive a plan. And when you couple that with an urgency to do it now, 
to do it today, then what's said in Acts 20.22 can be said in our lives. And I pray that it will this year, that all of us can say, now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going. I'm going. I want to ask the worship team to come, and I want to pray two things. Firstly, I want to invite you to consider right now, what is the and now obedience that God is calling you to? What, what is the thing that the Holy Spirit has, has made so evident in your life, if you don't do it, it's as a sin? It's like what J James 4.17 said. Like for you, it's a sin. Now maybe it's not sinful. Maybe you could put it off the rest of your life. But the Holy Spirit is making it so clear. Now. It's time. And, and maybe, maybe it's a resolution you've made. Maybe it's a relationship that, that you need to separate yourself from. Maybe it's a relationship that, that you need to mend. Maybe it's a habit that it's time now to break. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you hear Him prompting you. Now, I want to pray for you. Make an altar right where you're sitting. Father, thank you that the Holy Spirit is in this room. That not only are you speaking prophetically through me in the preaching of the word, but God, right now you want to speak pointedly and directedly into our hearts and lives. Lord, go to the, the secret place. Go right to that shadowy figure that sits in the corner of our soul that we keep ignoring, that issue we haven't dealt with, that thing that needs to change, God. We hear your spirit saying, now. Now is the acceptable year of the Lord. The word of the Lord says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the years of rebellion. Lord, we don't doubt your speaking. So give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the, and I ask for your Holy Spirit's enablement that we could do those things that you've called us to do not by might nor by power but by my spirit saith the Lord enable your church in Jesus name this time it's different in Jesus name I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. I'm going to pray a second prayer that I just feel is so, so very important to us, church. I want to pray that we are compelled by the Spirit. In a time where there's so many voices speaking, so many opinions, not, not just about current events, but I'm even talking about opinions about the authority of this book. I can promise you, if I say something you disagree with, you can Google it before you get home and you can find two or three other people that will agree with you and not me. And if we allow ourselves to go to that place, we can live in a place of perpetual uncertainty about the authority of God's word. And can I tell you, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to doubt the authority of God's word. His MO has never changed from the Garden of Eden till today. He comes like a slippery serpent saying, did God 
really say. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us the very word and will of God. So I'm going to pray today that what happened for the Samaritans who believed and what happened for the Ephesians who believed when John and Peter and Paul walked in the room, I'm going to believe God's going to do it for us today. And I'm going to just simply ask the question they asked. Christian, have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit when you believe? Because if you're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit, you're trying to do something Jesus never intended you to do. He said, I'm going away, but I'm sending the counselor. I'm sending the Spirit. And so I want to pray that God would pour His Spirit out on us on this first Sunday of 2022. And if you're ready to receive more of the Spirit of God in your life, I'm going to ask you to just lift your hands toward heaven with me. All over this room, let's just go before the Father. Lord, we thank you that your Spirit is here in this room. We've been listening to your voice speak to us through the authority of your word for this last 30 minutes. But God, we need you to speak to us when we're not in church. We need you to speak to us in the workplace, in our home. We need you to speak to us, Lord, when we're making decisions for our family and our future. God, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on this church. And God, would you do it so powerfully accompanied with evidence that nobody would leave this place today wondering if they received the Holy Spirit. God, would you accompany the outpouring of your Spirit with gifts. Lord, begin to fill our mouths with a new prayer language. God, begin to fill our mouths with a new vocabulary of worship as we call out to you this morning. God, would you pour your spirit out on your church? I want to invite you to just lift your voice with me. We're going to just pray for a moment longer out loud. If you're full of the spirit of God, I want to invite you to just pray in your prayer language. To just lift your voice. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, lift your voice too. Pray in your native language. Because I've never seen somebody give God the evidence of speaking in tongues who weren't first speaking in English or whatever language they speak. So just lift your voice and begin to worship the Lord. Begin to magnify Him together. And as the Holy Spirit begins to fill you, He's going to begin to give you words that are not your words. They're His words. And you need to just respond in obedience and to begin to say what the Spirit of God is saying. Father, we just we love you today. We thank you that you sent your Spirit Right now, I'm asking, Lord, would you just baptize your church, everyone in this room who's hungry, everyone in this room that is thirsty to be led by the Spirit of the Lord. God, would you let them receive right now a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit with the evidence of being able to speak in new tongues, with the evidence of being able to, to prophesy, with the evidence of being able to hear exactly what the Spirit of God is saying and to verbalize it. Father, 
Father, we worship you today. We love you, Lord Jesus. We glorify you. Listen, the words that the Holy Spirit wants to give you, they may not sound like the words somebody else is praying. But understand this, church. This is why this is so vitally important. We have to learn to discern the voice of God. I'm just going to tell you, I believe the reason that speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of being filled with the Spirit is because it's so hard for us to surrender. The tongue is more vile than the most venomous serpent. He said the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. It turns the whole thing. It's like a one match that catches a whole forest on fire. James said nobody can tame the tongue. And so I think it's significant when you're in a posture of prayer and the Holy Spirit begins to give you words that don't make sense. And you surrender your tongue to God and you say, God, I'm going to say that for one reason. I'm going to say it because I hear you saying it. Not only are you able to pray the will of God in that moment, but church, understand he's equipping you to hear his voice so that you can say what he wants you to say when you're not praying. Speaking in tongues is not just about prayer. It's about hearing. It's about learning how to discern the voice of the Father so that when you need to say what God wants you to say, you know how to speak his will. So we're going to take another moment.